desert mountain region. Recording in progress. I have been a member of the Phoenix Thunderbird alumni chapter since 1977, holding numerous positions, president, vice president, VP activities, treasurer, secretary, and I was on our board of directors when we were incorporated. So I am now retired after a career in banking, nonprofit management and informatics, but I'm a glutton for punishment and working a part-time temporary job with the US Census. Awesome, Lori, thank you for that. And Brother Mike, you wanna introduce yourself? Yeah, I'm Mike Melanie. Um, I was initiated at Beta Epsilon chapter at the University of Oklahoma. Um, at a very young age in 1966. Um, most of the last 12 years, I've been district director for Gamma Psi chapter here at the University of Arizona in Tucson, and uh, I'm retired senior vice president of Morgan Stanley. Great. Thanks, Mike. Uh, Lynette, what about you? I am Lynette Service. I'm an initiate of the Epsilon Phi chapter at Cal State Sacramento in the fall of uh, 87. I've worked in the insurance industry for almost 30 years now. Prior to that, I worked for the central office. Um, my last position, collegiate-wise, um, was as DD, but I'm currently serve as officer for NoHo Alumni Chapter. I'm a co-founder of the NoHo Alumni Chapter and a member of FRAC. Awesome. And last but certainly not least, Brother Joe. Well, I'm Joe Goldblatt and an uh, initiator of uh, Delta Upsilon, Texas Christian University back in 74. Uh, involved with uh, Phoenix. Well, let's start Tucson alumni chapter, uh, Sacramento alumni chapter, Phoenix alumni chapter, and a whole bunch of chapters along the way. Uh, spent almost 27 years in the military, uh, coast to coast and coast to coast. I spent one year in Vietnam, otherwise it was just inside the States. Now retired after having gotten rid of a uh, treat business that my wife said we must have. And so enjoying retired life. Awesome, thanks Joe. Thanks for all the panelists being here. Uh, we're gonna get things started, but just if you're not, uh, stay, uh, you can have your videos on, but just try to stay muted because that can sometimes interfere with the recordings. And first up we have brother Lori Gelsenko. Lori? You're up. Thank you, Vita. Well, as many of you know, and we've already said, when I pledged Gamma Omega in spring of 76, my pledge class was one of the first across the country to include females. So to talk about our pledge program, to the best of my recollection, our class had about 22 pledges and almost half were female. The typical pledge class size at Arizona State was 15 to 25. There were a few larger ones over the years. 
The chapter would invite prospective pledges to attend recruiting events by speaking to classes and our friends, posting flyers and manning a table on the mall at the College of Business. We held a variety of events during recruitment week to educate prospective pledges about the fraternity. Some events with a professional format and speakers, some with food and some just informal mingling to get to know our prospective pledgers, pledges before voting on who we would invite to pledge. We had the typical demanding pledge program, strict criteria similar to the chapter's structure, plus having community service, professional and fundraising projects. Money was raised for the pledges to have a social function for the whole chapter near the end of the semester. For years, the pledges hosted a dance party, including food, drink, alcohol, Obviously that was prior to risk management. So once females were initiated into the chapter, it seemed to me that the pressure was not as great to bring a date to social events. Everybody just danced with everyone. We had a good time mingling as friends and not necessarily as couples. Brotherhood was very strong. I saw mutual respect and kindness. Differences of opinion were handled with professional discussion and then a vote. The ASU College of Business was approximately one quarter females back in the mid 70s. So it was great for us to have in the early years, plenty of big brothers to work with on projects. I felt that our existing brothers welcomed all the new initiates for every year to help with the planning and welcome us to help with the business decision-making of the chapter. So my chapter Gamma Omega set high standards for decades. We were second only to Alpha Beta chapter with Gamma Omega had 39 consecutive years of earning 100,000 CEI points for chapter efficiency. So that discipline of setting high goals plus consistent achievement of them with teamwork I felt that it helped put me on the right track for career success later on and service to others. So 22 of our College of Business professors were Delta SIGs, including our Dean. Some of them were very helpful as chapter advisors and involved, some of them were involved. So those collegiate fraternity experiences definitely helped me to be more successful later on in the business world which was still predominantly male at that time, especially in the banking where I was for 20 years. I was painfully insecure growing up and it was the fraternity that helped me work through that. I felt like the brothers in our fraternity accepted me for me. So I eventually learned to accept myself in spite of my many faults while continuing to try to be better. And once I was able to stop worrying so much about me, I had more confidence, strength, and energy to help others. Many of those brothers that I met in the early years became part of my professional network and have remained great friends for decades, like Joe and Mike, I consider them two of my great friends. As far as alumni experiences uh, in the early years, when I look back at my first 20 or so years as an alum, I most fondly remember the events we held with Phoenix Thunderbird alumni, brothers, and guests. 
the camaraderie involved in the planning plus the execution of events or projects is what strengthened our brotherhood bond. Now this was before Facebook and not everyone even had email. So if we wanted to communicate information about events, do reminders, we did lots of snail mailing and hours of phone calling. So many of our local alums did work with the collegiate and alumni chapters to provide speakers and tours of companies, which greatly enhanced professional programming. We often had prominent, prominent businessmen such as Governor Symington, uh, Charles Keating, and of course brothers speak at our alumni lunch or dinner meetings. For years, we met in a central Phoenix location at a business club, first the Playboy Club, and then after women came in, we moved to the Arizona Club. And then after a while, we started meeting at different places around the valley so we could encourage more participation. I learned a lot from so many brothers, but I wanna mention three Phoenix alums in particular who mentored me, plus showed by example to everyone how to give back to the community and our fraternity. Bill Wilson, Buzz Sutton, and Bill Leonard. They each served four years as regional director for our Intermountain Region. The Intermountain Region was so large, four states, that they eventually split it up into Rocky Mountain and Desert Mountain Regions. Bill Wilson invited me to serve with him on the ASU College of Business Alumni Board of Directors. So I served on that board for 18 years, worked my way up to the chairs and continued serving. What I learned and benefited from that board experience, that's a whole other conversation. Buzz Sutton taught all of us about giving to the Leadership Foundation and I give as much as I can. You may have heard Buzz's name if you visited the central office. The founder's room is named after C. Irwin Buzz Sutton and Stoney Sutton, his wife and a brother. Bill Leonard was our idea man in Phoenix for decades. He helped lead the Phoenix Thunderbird Alumni Association through several ups and downs of membership and activity. It was Bill's idea for Phoenix T-Bird to recognize older brothers for their 50 years of fraternity service. We held numerous ceremonies to present them their Golden Helmet Awards. We sponsored one of these events out in Sun City, which is Northwest of Phoenix, where we presented, I think about eight Golden Helmet Awards to brothers who had retired there from other regions back East. So that event helped to jumpstart the Sun City Roadrunner alumni chapter. Bill also served several times as a parliamentarian at Grand Chapter. When Bill Leonard was the Intermountain Regional Director in 81 to 85, he appointed me to serve as the Arizona District Director for the state for all six chapters. At the time, we had three collegiate and three alumni chapters. So needless to say, it kept me busy those four years and it was a terrific experience to work with so many chapters and all of them being a bit different in different parts of the state. Years later, I finally felt confident enough to run for a regional director and I served the Desert Mountain region from 97 to 99. If you ever get the opportunity to hold one of those offices, I know you will appreciate what you get out of it. The chapters taught me as much as I taught them. 
And it was interesting to learn what other chapters in the region were doing. And I met outstanding young leaders from across the region that I still keep in touch with, some of them. I was an active member of the Phoenix Thunderbird Alumni Association from graduation in 77 until I moved back home in 99. I held numerous offices, some for new, multiple terms, and I was on our board of directors. As I said, when we were incorporated, Bill Leonard felt it was important to set up our alumni like a business and we were incorporated. Um, by serving actively, I feel that was an awesome way to work with brothers on projects. It helped me develop leadership and management skills. I met many brothers and non-brothers from a variety of industries. And those collaborative partnerships and mentorships during that time really helped to enhance my career, increase my self-esteem and confidence. As far as alumni involvement later on, uh, as I mentioned, I moved home to Yuma in 99 to be closer to family. So Yuma is in the Southwest corner of Arizona. It's three hours from Phoenix. So I haven't been able to be very active since then. I missed the regular contact with the fraternity in ASU, but I try to stay in contact as much as I can. I still periodically attend events in Phoenix or around the Western province. Plus I've never missed a grand chapter since I was initiated. I've been fortunate to be able to attend 22 consecutive grand chapter congresses so far. And those of you who have been to grand chapter, you know what I mean when I say it is a must. I even gone to Congress several times when I was unemployed. Each Congress is a unique learning experience and uh, lots of fun. It can provide a much needed boost of brotherhood, motivation, not to mention new knowledge from a variety of sources. I feel very fortunate that my 45 years of being a brother has blessed me with more than my share of brothers as good friends. Many of them I only see every other year at Grand Chapter. As far as some changes that I've seen, uh, risk management was a big one. One of our Gamma Omega brothers, Robin Lautenbach, she designed the last version of the yellow dog pin and Gamma Omega was fortunate to obtain a very rare exclusive approval from the central office to be the only chapter to sell yellow dog pins. And that became the chapter's major fundraiser for about 20 years, first at both regionals and grand chapter, then just at GCC, before they canceled Yellow Dog. Now, I understand it was best overall for the fraternity to stop doing Yellow Dog. It was just disappointing for my chapter to lose such a hugely successful fundraiser. Hey, besides, imagine how much fun you can have going around meeting a bunch of former strangers and selling people yellow dog pins. I always loved helping do that. Now, risk management has changed a number of things, including how we hold parties, how we used to hold parties. All of the Arizona parties used to sponsor an Arizona margarita party at regionals and grand chapter. It was free to everybody in attendance. And from what I can remember, a good time was always had by all. Although we didn't like some of the changes that came about with risk management, 
And I didn't really feel like some of the old ways were that harmful if done correctly. When I was an RVP, I pledged to support the fraternity's rules and regulations. So of course I did, and I still support them. And I totally understand that risk management policies are in the best interest of the fraternity. It just took me a while to get, to get used to the idea that some might get carried away and cause problems for the fraternity as a whole. So we needed more restrictions and protections in place. Um, I think I covered most of the topics that uh, Beto wanted us to cover. I do wanna leave you with a few words of wisdom. Well, my wisdom. I've learned so much from the fraternity, but I have two main thoughts that I wanna pass on. First, reach out to brothers if you need help. They can be invaluable as mentors. They can provide career advice or just advice. And you know, I feel that they will give you the best that they can. Second is very basic and should sound familiar. He profits most who serves best. Give what you can of your time and talents, plus treasure if you are fortunate enough to have extra. You will no doubt get much more than you give. The fraternity has enriched my life and given me so much. I'm still trying to give back as much as I have received. Someday, maybe I can give back as much as I've received. But I, I thank you for the opportunity to share some memories with you. Well, thank you, Lori. That's a, uh, wow, that's amazing. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, I forgot to say, if you guys have any questions after the final panelist goes, who will be Brother Joe, we're going to have a Q&A. So if you have any questions for Lori, Mike, Lynette, Joe, or the group as a whole, go ahead and message those to me or put them in the chat and we'll uh, get to those later. Uh, without further ado, we have uh, Brother Mike Maloney up next and I'm sure he has some great stories to tell us. Thanks, Vito. Lori, you're a hard act to follow. <laughs> I've, I've known Lori for uh, more years than either one of us would care to admit and um, she's a, a very dear friend as, uh, as we have so many of them in the fraternity. Um, Vito gave us a list of topics to consider or to talk about, so I'll go through them one by one. Um, the first few are just a little bit about my background. The, the uh, last uh, few are going to be about changes in the fraternity that have happened since I've been in it, and there have been a lot. Um, first of all, I was initiated again in Beta Epsilon Chapter University of Oklahoma, and uh, trying to remove some of the glare, that didn't work, sorry. Um, and um, for, um, for the last few years, I've been DD at the University of uh, Arizona here at Gamma Psi chapter. Uh, when I was initiated in our chapter at Beta Epsilon University of Oklahoma, uh, it was a very small chapter. I was, uh, um, we did have a lot of brotherhood in that chapter because it was so small. And uh, I probably didn't have the best background in that chapter that I would have liked. Um, we uh, were all male at that time, as was the rest of the fraternity. Uh, we, uh, I think the semester after I was initiated, we got down to only seven members in the chapter. 
So I worked my way up through several offices and ultimately became president of the chapter. By the time I became president, in the year I became president, uh, we got up to 80 members in the chapter. So I was pretty proud of that, that we took a chapter from being uh, as low as seven people to up to 80. Um, and by the way, those of you that are not showing your friendly faces, please do so. Um, it really helps the speaker when we've got somebody to look at and to gauge reactions. Thank you, Stacy, for showing up. A couple of more, Jeanette. Um, all of you guys, I really appreciate it. Uh, again, it does help any speaker to be able to look you in the eye and get some kind of reaction, whether it's good or bad. So um, the next thing Vito had on our list to talk about was uh, pre-2000 uh, alumni activities that I, I uh, involved myself in. So pre-2000, I was an officer in the alumni chapter at the university or at uh, Oklahoma City in Oklahoma. Uh, I served on several national committees. I was a district director for five years between 1970 and 1975. Uh, in 1975, I ran for director, national director of alumni activities. Um, that was a position which was eased out of the fraternity uh, structure, um, I believe, in the late 80s. Uh, it was like a vice president, a national vice president. Um, after that, I ran for grand president in 1979, had the good fortune to serve as grand president for four years from 1979 to 1983. Uh, also served as chair and president of the Leadership Foundation for several years. And uh, post-2000, my alumni experience, uh, I was on the uh, Centennial Committee um, uh, for about five or six years up until the Centennial in 2007. Uh, I hosted the history show at Grand Chapter Congress for, I think, seven years uh, during that period of time. We had a lot of fun with that. Um, uh, just a side note, uh, during one of the Grand Chapter Congresses, I think in 1989, they asked me to um, to chair the or to MC the awards uh, luncheon, and I picked um, a former National Collegian of the Year, Steve Rashi. I don't know if any of you all remember remember him, but anyway, they said I could do the awards presentation any way I wanted to. So we showed up at the luncheon dressed as Batman and Robin. Uh, to the horror of some of the older alumni who thought we were minimizing the awards, but we had a great time with it. So that was my uh, alumni activities. And again, for the last uh, 10 out of the last 12 years, I've been district director of the Gamma Psi chapter at the University of Arizona here in Tucson. So I want to talk a little bit about changes in the fraternity during the time I've uh, uh, been involved. As I said, when I was initiated in 1966, and all the way up to 1976, when Lori was initiated in the spring of 1976, um, we were an all-male fraternity. And I want to talk about how something is probably not politically correct, but I'm going to say it anyway because it's, it's our, our fraternity history. Nobody back then wanted to become a co-ed fraternity. We were a male fraternity, albeit a professional fraternity. We wanted to stay all male. That was the way people thought uh, back in the early 70s. Um, the issue of changing the constitution and bylaws, we had a constitution then as well as bylaws to admit women was brought up at the 1973 Grand Chapter Congress and was defeated. It was brought up again in, at the 1975 uh, Grand Chapter Congress and defeated. Uh, in between 1973 and 1975, the fraternities spent the large sum, what was then a large sum of $15,000 to uh, 
to help hire a lobbyist along with several other social and professional fraternities to try and keep the fraternity all male. And that was a wasted $15,000 because we lost the, the lawsuit. And um, due to Title IX, by 1975, we were um, in the position of losing fully one-third of our chapters if we do not admit women. So on November 7th, 1975, the Board of Directors had a telephone call, conference phone call, and unanimously uh, invoked emergency powers to admit women into the fraternity. So the first class with women was Lori's class. The first pledge class was in 1975-76 in the spring uh, to admit women in the fraternity. That emergency vote had to be ratified at the next Grand Chapter Congress, which is in 1977 in Toronto. It was overwhelmingly ratified by the membership at that Congress. So that's why and when we became uh, a co-ed fraternity, admitting women. Uh, looking back, uh, we were pretty stupid back then. Uh, it was the best uh, decision we ever made. We became only the second, uh, we became the first business fraternity or sorority to become co-ed and only the second professional fraternity or sorority to become co-ed. The first being uh, Phi Alpha Delta um, uh, Law Fraternity. It was, it was probably the best thing we ever did. All you have to do is look around at the people that have come into the fraternity since the spring of 1976, the women that have come in and have helped make Delta Sigma Pi what it is today uh, to know what a great um, thing that we did at that time. Uh, it was an unpopular decision when it was voted down at the 75 Grand Chapter Congress by the delegates. They followed that vote by voting and approving a resolution directed to the board of directors telling us to do what we had to do to save the fraternity. So two and a half months later, we did. Uh, I was a new member of the board of directors at that time. I'd only been on about two and a half months and uh, it, it, it was quite an initiation into uh, my experience with the board of directors. Uh, other things that happened to, um, other changes that have happened. Uh, so when I was initiated um, in the late, mid to late 60s, and all the way up into, I think, the late 70s or early 80s, the neophytes, the pledges had to wear white robes. Uh, we actually had two regalia trunks. I'm not supposed to talk too much about the ritual or initiation, but we had two regalia trunks. The second one was full of white robes. And, uh, Fortunately, that went away. Uh, it looked a little bit too much like the Klan, and it was kind of silly. So fortunately, that went away. A few years later, um, they got rid of the blindfold. The, the pledges had to wear blindfolds. And uh, it soon became clear um, under risk management policies and procedures that um, we had a huge safety risk there, blindfolding pledges, having, having them go up and down steps, things like that. So fortunately, that was um, um, uh, taken away from us, uh, from the chapters. And a lot of people complained. Um, when I was a grand president, I got an obscene object mailed to me uh, in the mail, which I won't go into because of some of the actions of the board of directors to clean up some of our bad habits. And then there was the infamous part three of the ritual. And again, I'm not going to talk about the ritual. So don't worry, Vito. Um, you all know that the board of directors uh, two years ago this fall uh, invoked emergency action to get rid of part two. But there was a part three of the ritual. 
And um, I'm not going to talk about what it was, but you can corner one of your alumni who go back a few years and find out what part three of the ritual was. It was a lot of fun while it lasted. Um, we got into a lot of trouble and that was a lot of fun while it lasted, but along with a lot of other bad, bad uh, procedures and practices, uh, risk management uh, took, uh, uh, took that away also. And it was a good, it, it was a good, it was for the best that they took it away. Okay, and then, and then Lori talked about yellow dog a while ago, and I can talk about this. So uh, up until yellow dog was uh, dissolved, Yellow Dog was a little initiation rite that anybody could and did go through at what were then called regional meetings, or now called leads, and Grand Chapter Congress. And uh, we basically put them through a silly ritual and then shot them all with water guns. Um, and uh, again, that was fun while it lasted, and due to risk management, again, that was eliminated. So Lori and her compatriots, again, on Omega Chapter at Arizona State, came up with a money-making idea to sell these little yellow dog pens, which a lot of us have been around a while have. And they're a relic. You can probably buy one on eBay if you want. Um, so those were the, some of the things that happened, um, uh, changes all for the better uh, during my uh, earlier, earlier years as an alum in the fraternity. Um, a couple of eventful things for me that happened um, were... Um, First of all, I met Harold V. Jacobs, one of our founders. Uh, I had a, a, a member of Gamma Psi Chapter a few years ago walk up to me and he says, rumor has it that, that you knew the four founders. And everybody got a big laugh out of that. But the fact was, I actually did meet Harold Valentine Jacobs at the 1971 Grand Chapter Congress um, in, um, in the Poconos in Pennsylvania. And I was probably about 26 or 27 years old, and he was as old as the hills, probably in his 80s. And as, as, Bill, Tatum's like, as Bill Tatum likes to say, he's past grand president also, uh, Harold was a very short guy. He was about four feet five, I think. And uh, I feel blessed to have been able to meet him. Um, and then in 1979, I became the first openly gay uh, person to be elected grand president. And uh, that was an interesting experience, uh, one I uh, would never want to go through again, but uh, that was pretty interesting. Um, when I was grand president, we went back to Mackinac Island. Mackinac Island was my first grand chapter Congress. Now, this will have been 27 of them um, this, this uh, summer, the one that we're not going to have except virtually. But my first Grand Chapter Congress was 1969 at Mackinac Island, Michigan. And uh, I know I've only got a couple minutes left, Dito. I've got my watch in front of me. So Mackinac Island, for anybody that doesn't know, if you look at Michigan, shaped like a hand, Mackinac Island is a little island at the very top of Michigan. That's right, Vito's hand. Where uh, two of the Great Lakes, I think Michigan and uh, Huron come together. And um, so it was a great experience. It was so good that uh, we encouraged uh, the board to vote to approve to go back there in 1981 uh, when I was grand president. So we went back to Mackinac Island when I was grand president. And um, so one of the perks of being grand president is, is you get the presidential suite. So they gave me the presidential suite at Mackinac Island and I got to sleep in the same bed that Queen Elizabeth and President Gerald Ford slept in, not at the same time. We, we weren't all in there together. 
Um, and so uh, that was a pretty big deal for me. So, uh, and then we had another event that happened at Grand Chapter Congress at Mackinac. And again, it was a little island at the top of Michigan. Uh, and the other thing that they have going for them, in addition to the 95,000 fudge shops on the island, is uh, they have a no-fly zone over the island and they have no, no vehicles allowed on the island except for emergency vehicles. So, um, I had... Uh, a kid from um, Menlo Park, California. I think that chapter is long since gone by now who showed up at my office one day, two months before the convention. And he says, uh, I wanna to talk to you about the, the convention in Mackinac in two months. He says, uh, I, I said, what do you wanna talk about? He says, well, um, I'm a skydiver and I'm, I wanna jump onto the lawn in front of the Grand Hotel on the island um, and uh, in Mackinac, and I said, no, you can't do that. It's illegal, we'll all be thrown off the island and out of the hotel. And he says, well, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna park the plane on the mainland. I'm gonna rip the door off so it's easier to jump out of. And then uh, it's a quarter to four, the first day of the Grand Chapter Congress, I'm gonna jump out of the jump out of the sky right in the middle of the lawn in front of Mackinac. Laura, you probably remember that. Joe, maybe you were there too. And, uh, and so he did, and there were like 500 Delta SIGs on the lawn waiting for him to jump out of this plane um, when he did. And he had the Delta SIG flag strapped to his leg. So those are some of my experiences and um, some of the things that have changed since I've been in the fraternity, and I will turn it back to Vito. Thanks, Vito. Well, Mike, I, didn't know, I had no idea that uh, you had had the chance to meet Valentine Jacobs. That's got to be a... Uh, that's awesome. I'm going to have to talk to you on the beeline about that one these days. Um, up next, we have Lynette. Hi, everybody. As you know, I'm Lynette Service, and I'm an initiate of uh, Epsilon Phi Chapter, which is the 126th chapter of our fraternity, and I am initiate number 726. Kind of go about our history at sea. Once upon a time, a long, long time ago. Oh, wait, that's another story. Let's get back to business here. All right. Um, a lot of you may know that I was the first female consultant hired to the fraternity in 1989. But before I became that, I was initiated in uh, Epsilon Phi, which is the Cal State Sacramento. At that time, our, our university or our region, our the Western region was only Northern California and uh, was part of um, Nevada. California was only split into two regions, which is now um, there's actually four regions, kind of show the, the differences in time. Uh, to kind of give you an idea, um, fall of 87 is when I was initiated. That's just uh, 12 years after being co-ed. Our fraternity chapter was probably still two thirds male, one third female. Uh, don't get me wrong. Uh, the females in our chapter, they were strong. They were tough. Uh, one of the things, Bill can, uh, Stabelsky will back me up on this. Whatever happened in Epsilon Phi chapter stayed in Epsilon Phi chapter. We did not talk about it. Uh, we were very close to Chico. A lot of road trips back and forth. And so there was a lot of um, Probably a lot of the reason why things weren't talked about out there is because we didn't want to be in trouble. We didn't trust a lot of the national people on the outside because 
we were a chapter that hazed big time. Uh, big time, big time, big time. When I was in um, pledge, there was originally 17 of us that pledged and nine of us made it through the program. In our area, um, each pledge brother received a nickname based on what happened to them at that time, you know, with them, what they remembered for during their pledging um, semester. Also the pledge class also decide its name. So my pledge class name is Fuel by Coal, The Sly Nine, Finally Dying, While Baking Rocks, Honey, Honey, Yeah. You listen to that and you think, what in the world? Our pledge master was Carrie Cole. So there's where the Fuel by Coal comes from. The Sly Nine, the nine of us that made it out of the original 17 that pledged. Fine dining. Like Laurie said earlier, one of the things that we had to do as a pledge class is you had to raise money and put on a big dinner. Now this dinner was for the chapter and all the alumni. Anyone who's been out to California, to Sacramento, they know we have a very active alumni chapter there. And there's a very, I mean, it's not unheard of to have alumni members attending the collegiate events all the time. I mean, you would have to ask and get to know the people, whether they are alumni or if they were active collegiate member. Um, your pledge books, you had to have so many signatures of alumni signatures for interviews in uh, collegiate members, signatures, all that kind of fun stuff. We decided that we wanted to do not just a regular uh, uh, small dinner or anything else. We decided we're gonna do a fine dinner. So we were all dressed up in suits. We went out and we uh, rented a room. We rented fine china, went all out, big old menu, nine of us working our behinds off the whole day. And it turns out to be a major hazing thing with um, the alumni and the collegiate chapter. But we made it. I mean, you, you literally, you're filling up the waters and someone would say, waiter, waiter, waiter. But it wasn't waiter, it was pledge, pledge, pledge. Uh, the, the candles on the tables were always being blown out. So you're running around. That one person had the full time of relighting all those candles, all while we're trying to serve dinner. Um, that night, we also found out what they called I-Night. I-Night was the fraternity, our chapter's actual initiation. Not into the fraternity, but it was the chapters. It's the preliminary. You had to make it through this. And one of the things you had to do is your big brother took you out a few days prior on another event that all the big brothers and little brothers went out, and we had to get a rock. And we had to paint those rocks symbolic of the fraternity. And again, this is back the hazing. You can't do this anybody. Don't do it. But now it's kind of funny in this, um, you know, phone memories. The whole last week of our initiation, which was a week because you had a lot of week things going on, you had to carry that rock around to show the burden of fraternity, always with you, always carrying it. And it had to be present. So every class you went into, it showed. All the professors, everybody knew we had these rocks. And they were on the table. Why we didn't get into trouble or caught at that time beats the heck out of me. But it's what happened. Well, when it came to us have to um, paint our rocks, it was winter, one of the winters that was really, really wet. And 
we couldn't get them to dry and we had to have them the next day. So one of my pledge brothers came up with the bright idea, let's bake them. And there's where the name Baking Rocks. So I can tell you I wouldn't recommend that because taking house paint, painting a rock, putting it in the oven, it certainly stinks terribly. But we did what we had to do to make it work. And the honey, honey, yeah, is a reflection to during the um, initiation, the actual dinner with the alumni, we had to do entertainment. And one of the things that uh, tradition of Epsilon Phi was you did the rose, but you did it to a song that represented your pledge class. And that was the year of the California grapevine um, raisins. So we did it to the California raisins um, theme that Rosa Delta sake, and we dressed up as raisins. So we are always known as the honey, honey, yeah group. So that pretty much kind of, you know, that nickname sums up some of the things that happened for initiation. Now, as I said, there was a lot of hazing. Um, you just kind of dealt with it. I found that some of the female brothers were a lot tougher than the, um, than the guys. Actually, um, we had a, a trio known as the Dragon Ladies, and we all despised the Dragon Ladies. Um, so it was kind of ironic when I went out later on uh, to meet and run into brothers that were still anti-female because I, I would tell them, man, the ones that hazed me the most were the females. They were not the guys. Our special eye night always makes me think of West Side Story. We all have to get in a car, pledge class, show up in this parking lot. You don't know what's going on. We have a crate full of things. They line us up in our alphabetical order. And all of a sudden, this row of headlights comes on. You're talking like 60 or more cars. And in front of those cars, in front of those um, headlights, is a whole slew of brothers wearing what we called goober jackets. Those are the old day windbreakers, bright purple with the um, fraternity letters on it. And I can remember, excuse my language, I don't swear, but we all took hands, the nine of us, and said, holy bleep, we're dead now. After everything we'd gone through, we thought we were dead. That um, I-night goes until 6 o'clock in the morning. So you have the dinner, and then until I-night, and then the next morning, 6 o'clock in the morning. You're dead tired. You end up at the Denny's restaurant, and then some of the brothers are leaving there, and they're going down to see um, San Luis Obispo for some kind of event. The following Friday is going to be our initiation. Now, as I said, there was a 17 of us originally. We were very, very close. Hazing was kind of bad kind of kept it to our, ourselves, um, but we made a pact with each other because we got down to nine, and we had said, we're going to go to initiation after especially everything we went through the um, I night and said, the nine of us, that together we're going to be initiated and become members of the chapter, or we're not. They're going to lose a whole pledge class. That's how close we became over it. We didn't let anybody know. And we were all kind of worried because we were being initiated on Friday the 13th of November 1987. So after everything we've gone to, you're thinking now on Friday the 13th, what is going to happen? And it turned out that um, it was awesome. You know, the initiation, the ritualization was the easiest thing ever because everything we've gone through. Uh, but we were still kind of leery. And during the part three that Mike talked about, when that was going on, it kind of floored all of my um, 
my pledge brothers that and I at the time, because we stood together and we were, they, the chapter didn't know, and an alumni didn't know, is we were talking amongst ourselves, are we staying? Or are we giving back these badges? And so collectively we looked at it and made the decision during the part three ritual saying, we will stay. The whole part three ritual is going to take place. We just kind of looked at them and said, these guys are crazy and we're going to change this chapter. And then, so within two weeks later, half of us became um, members of the executive committee and, and leaders in the chapter. And we didn't have hazing as bad. I can't, I won't tell you it went away, it, you know, didn't go away. Probably never went away until the chapter actually got closed when it really got caught and bad. But that was my experience there. Um, pros and cons. Some of the pros of it is the fact that it made my pledge, pledge brothers and I extremely, extremely, extremely close. To this day, 35 um, years later, I'm still close to them. We call, we write, send Christmas cards, everything. You know, there's no time between us and them. It's an awesome thing. Um, it also toughened us up. One of the beauties about going in the fraternity is when I was, the whole reason I came to it is I, it was commuter school. I'd go to school, I'd go to work, I'd go home study, and that was the routine over and over and over. And I thought there has to be more to college life here. I need to get involved. I wasn't a sorority girl, a social fraternity. I didn't want any of the clubs. I went to the recruiting table of Delta SIG, and I went to on what, I didn't realize it was the last um, recruiting event that night was at the Peace Parlor. And I met Brother Stabelski. And we ended up talking the whole night. And I don't know, for some reason, he stood up and told the chapter he met me and that, you know, I would make a good brother, I guess, because here I am, because none of the chapter met me. So how I got passed to be uh, given an, an invitation to pledge. Um, beyond me. So here I am later on. I had been involved in a lot of organizations prior to the fraternity and growing up in my life and everything else, but I came from a very small community. So um, going to Sac State was a big walking city. Being a co-ed scared the crud out of me. Give me a whole bunch of girls, tell me to leave them, whatever, not a problem. Getting a bunch of guys, especially people who came from the Bay Area and I spoke a different language than them. Yeah, we all spoke English, but when you're from the way, like in the mountains and whatnot, you don't talk about going shopping, you talk about going to town. So I was constantly teased for the information I had and how I spoke. I had to learn a new language, not realizing it. I um, became a secretary, was the first job I took for the chapter, our scribe, which is now part of the VPCO um, position. And I remember we had to do roll call and I stood up and I shook because everybody when they gave the report had to stand. That was something in our chapter, very serious, you know, always very formal, always professional. And I shook, scared me to death. Here I'm talking in front of these people. You know, fast forward, not a problem. Um, one of our initiation things and everything else, they called it the hot seat where they would bring you in as a pledge. Lights go down. All the chapters are sitting there in front of you. You're sitting in the seat by yourself and they're asking you questions. Why do you want to be a member of Epsilon Phi chapter? Why do you want to be this? Why do you want that? What do you think this is? Hot seat, very nerve wracking. First time I go out to do an interview in the job, panel interview, piece of cake. So there was positive things that came out of hazing, if it was done correctly. But because of, you know, 
times change. We're a very litigious country and stuff right now. I understand why we had to get rid of it. But I think for me, if it hadn't been there, I probably wouldn't have accomplished as much as I've accomplished today. Um, when I became president of our chapter, uh, it was my goal that we had a really good turnout to go to the Congress that year. And our turnout was um, good enough that we won the travel award. So that was something that was pretty cool. At the same time, our chapter visited every single chapter in our region and hosted events to bring them, a lot of times we would rent a big bus and all the other chapters would come and we would then take off to uh, do an overnight trip to South Lake Tahoe or to Reno, to, even though we're all underage, to go gambling. How we get away with it, as I said, um, like Lori said, parties. Parties were a big to-do. Uh, one of the things that I did, I'm, I'm not a big drinker. You can... I just don't really drink, don't smoke or anything else. That made me a little different than the rest of a lot of my members in my chapter. So what I did, um, I didn't like my brothers to be out there drinking. Kegs are there all the time. So we started our first um, alcohol policy in the chapter, even before the national was doing that. And all parties came in. We had the key basket. Keys went into the basket. No one knew except for those designated drivers where the keys were. And we also had a pack with each other of a closeness that anybody was out partying in the middle of the night, two, three o'clock in the morning, they need to ride home. This would be for Uber or anything else. We would, you would get a call. Didn't matter. You go pick them up. That's what you did because it was better to have a brother alive than attending the funeral. Because of all that closeness and everything else, they helped me get stronger and I wasn't ready to walk away from the fraternity. There wasn't a lot to do yet. Um, on a national level for alumni, um, there was a few things, but not a lot. So um, I applied to be the consultant, was hired to be the consultant, and then realized after I was hired that I was the first female consultant and what a burden that was going to be. Uh, so I took it on straight on, made sure that I kept my nose clean as I could. Um, but I also took on the challenges of brothers out there that were not pro-female consultants or female brothers. and. You know, even though I was told not to, I broke some of the rules. I went to the back rooms with brothers that I trusted and said, Haze me. Here is a match. What do you want? You want the purpose? You want the Greek letters? You want it? Tell me. Fire the questions out. Haze me. I have no problem. Because, again, my motto was business is brains, not bronze. And brotherhood is for all. Uh, from there, did my two-year stint, then uh, came back. Came to Southern California, which was a big transition for me, and got to know some of the brothers down here. We had some chapters that were kind of weak down here, and um, consultant visits weren't available right away. So the regional director and the CEO asked if I'd go out there. And so I went and visited several chapters and tried to help them, um, just as if I was a consultant, but I was no longer working for the fraternity. I was just kind of going out and mentoring and consulting. Did it some community service, um, did some of the charity groups, also did a DD ship. Then I went dark for a while, came back, and then became um, a DD again, and here I am now. Big changes. Uh, alcohol policy was the first of the risk management. I had the lovely, dubious job to be going out and introducing it to the chapters. That's not a fun thing to do when you're the first female and you're also introducing alcohol and party policies to collegiate chapters saying, you can't do this anymore. 
but that was my job and that was one of the big changes that was hard but it was needed um hated to see some of the things go on parties risk management uh some of the ritual changes but i understand you know we have to evolve to stay alive here in the, in the fraternity i think the biggest thing to, to me uh the fraternity has given me a family it has made me grow beyond what I can ever think. I just know the more I do, the more I know I don't know, the more I have to learn. And it's from people older than me and people a lot younger than me. And it's every time you think that this is about it, there's nothing else to do, then someone comes up and asks you, hey, can you help me? Hey, do you know? Hey, is there? And it's like, okay, it isn't four years. It is for life and life is until we quit serving and it's the best thing ever uh frack when frack came back came about because of coven it was the first time in a long time that i felt the brotherhood that i knew from my collegiate days and so i'm a strong proponent of of uh, frack i will stand by that because now what i have experienced in my chapter i was now experiencing nationally which i got a little taste of when you're on the national level as a consultant traveling everywhere so I really encourage people to interact across the, the country. And then my last is kind of a model to think about it. If not you, then who? If not now, when? If we don't make the changes and stay in there and serve, then we won't exist anymore. Four brothers, four friends came in and established the best fraternity ever. We're not social solely we're not professional solely we are the best of all the worlds together and so put everything you can in it and then you'll get it back tenfold or more thanks thanks Lord. uh thanks lynette that was uh wow i thought i knew about what about the fraternity back in the day but hearing from you and the rest i learn something new every time i talk to you and last but not least, we have uh, uh, Brother Joe Goldblatt down in Arizona, old man Joe, so take it away. man Joe, I love it. Well, I'm going to do a little different here. And uh, let's see if we can get this literal show on the road. Hello, everybody. I am Joe Goldblatt, and I began my journey with Delta Sigma Pi in 1974. And I want to first thank you, Vito, for hosting this, and thanks to uh, Laurie, Mike, and Lynette for your histories. Uh, you brought back some old memories and reminded me some of mine. Um, during the fall semester of 74, uh, I was on active duty and I had the opportunity uh, to take my classes on campus. I was literally assigned to go to school. So one day I was uh, at the School of Business. I walked into the school library. The chapter had an information table and I said, well, you know, 
why not? Um, chatted with a few of the guys. Uh, it's 74. It was guys. And uh, indicated to them that I was a uh, uh, in the military and uh, probably have two, maybe three semesters left in me before I graduated. Well, they liked what I was saying or they liked what I looked like or whatever. They said, okay. And in the fall of uh, 1974, I pledged Walt Holmes became my big brother. I was initiated in November 24th. And as I said, I was an older student. So I didn't pay very close attention to the, uh, the actions and antics of both the pledges and the actives. I participated, but I didn't pay close attention. One of the things that I do remember, uh, I was surprised by some, a song, the pledge was re uh, required to learn. Um, I can't remember the song, uh, but I was surprised last night. I actually found it. I ain't gonna sing it. I don't know it. The uh, only thing that I recall about it was that the uh, one of the lines was something about Jesus was the first Jew and they didn't let any others in. The chapter really didn't know much about its own history. <clears throat> Excuse me, because as you well know, Harold, Harold Valentine Jacob was one of the founders and was a Jew. The chapter really didn't have much um, interest in the fraternity per se. They didn't pay much attention to regionals or to Grand Chapter of Congress. And since I was still active in, uh, uh, on active duty in the Air Force, my uh, time was and efforts to chapter politics was limited. I held no offices. And I never did recall any of the chapter having interest in the Grand Chapter Congress. Well, I graduated in the spring of 75, uh, changed uh, status. I was enlisted and I got my commission and that put me in a different assignment, went to technical training school <clears throat> And that kind of put me out, uh, put Delta Sig out of my mind for a while. I was assigned to uh, Tucson, eventually showed up there and put Delta Sig back into my brain. And there were a few guys that I ran into, and I don't recall how, that were interested in <clears throat> starting an alumni chapter. Uh, well, Joe Hardy, <clears throat> John Monroe, Chuck Farrell, several others and myself, um, we got together and we started 
the Tucson Old Pueblo Alumni Chapter back in 1977, 78, around then. Uh, this was the beginning of my uh, longtime friendship with Chuck Farrell. We've gone to several grand chapters uh, together and separately. But I attended my first uh, regional conference in 1982, Albuquerque, New Mexico, <clears throat> was that first uh, regional conference. <clears throat> Sorry. Uh, and in 1983, I went to my first Grand Chapter Congress. Um, Lynette, you, you reminded me again and again and again about Sacramento. <clears throat> There we are. And I believe this was on the roof of uh, <clears throat> Denver Marriott. Um, Parking deck. <laughs> yeah. Well, I remember also the influence of Bill Tatum. <clears throat> he got me going and I was jumping on tables and selling lots and lots of raffle tickets for the Merlin Ruby badge. Um, eventually, uh, I, I became uh, moving from Tucson and we, to Sacramento. <clears throat> I did become the district director there. And I do recall Bill Stabilsky. Bill, I don't remember if you were uh, pledging or in a, the chapter then, but uh, I ran into you then. Chip Donovan stayed in touch with Bill Tatum. <clears throat> um, one of my challenges, that uh, was an interesting chapter, Lynette, uh, Epsilon Phi, uh, was the, uh, their insistence in holding <clears throat> and uh, holding to tradition uh, and their tradition during their pledge program and initiation was singing <clears throat> and or playing. Uh, he's not heavy. He's my brother by the Hollies, which was written in or sung by them in 1969. Uh, okay, as many times as I said said to them, uh, you know, the fraternity started in 1907. And there, this song didn't exist. There is no tradition here. Uh, not in their minds. They wouldn't go for it. Well, anyway, here I am presenting a Sacramento alumni shirt to Grand President Dick Kornitsky. And it, it was definitely <clears throat> the 83 uh, uh, Grand Chapter. <clears throat> Uh, this was their, uh, the, one of the formal pictures that they took. I've attended several more uh, grand chapters before I had to take a break. Not as many as uh, Laurie or uh, um, oh God, there it went again. Mike, I went blank. Uh, but I did 
attend several. And there are some several familiar faces in this picture. Uh, there I am. There's my sweetie. How about that? Bill Tatum. Claire Roberts is in there. Chip Donovan, the guy that I was talking about, we've got quite involved with making uh, the alumni chapter good. I don't know. Right next to him is Nick Windeshausen. Also back in the back, uh, Bill Kinsella, Paul Garcia, and uh, Skip Loomis. A number of old folks that were involved. And this was how I met them. And if you haven't been to a Grand Chapter Congress, there's a good reason to, to do so. A new assignment came about. It brought me to Lawrence, Kansas and the KU, University of Kansas, 1984. Uh, I had been in touch with C. Dean Ferguson back in Sacramento. We kind of made connections back then. I found out that when I got to Kansas, <clears throat> IOTA chapter was inactive. And I decided to walk into the Dean's officer and say, hey, I'm new here. <clears throat> I would like to get this chapter reorganized. He said, go right ahead. So after connecting with Dean, a few other folks, Marlo Key, Larry Lunsford, several other folks, we uh, finally got IOTA recharted in uh, April of 1986. And here's a picture of me and uh, John Hennick. Joe had us all. The gentleman to uh, John's right, I honestly cannot remember his name. He was one of the original members of IOTA chapter back in the 20s. <clears throat> well, I ended my official career in the military in 1990 but I stayed involved with the fraternity <clears throat> and in, in fact, uh, became the Intermountain Regional Director uh, in 1991 and ended that in 1993. Uh, having retired from the military, I got involved with a couple of other businesses and that kind of inhibited my active participation but I did still stay involved with the Phoenix Thunderbird alumni chapter. Um, I did get back to the Grand Chapter Congress in 2007 for the centennial and was tickled pink to see some of my old buds still there, still active. Um, as far as changes in the fraternity, I am so glad that uh, Part three was removed. And I was thinking about this. I was initiated just before women got uh, initiated. 
So the dramaticness of having women and not having women really didn't affect me too much because at work, there were women all around. So it didn't matter. Well, let me end here with some thoughts, uh, some words of advice. I have three thoughts for you. One, do the right thing, the moral thing, regardless of the consequences. And even though we are the professional business fraternity, you will build lifelong friendships, just like any social fraternity or sorority. And lastly, you heard it before, but you don't really realize it until much later, Delta Sigma Pi is for life. And... Oh, wrong buttons. Stop sharing. There we go. So I was searching around for my... Uh, Silva Helmet Certificate. And you saw several of the certificates that I had. Um, I couldn't find that. But what I did find was my pledge manual. It was fun reading that. And oh, within that book, I did find that song and I still am not going to sing it. So, there's my history. <clears throat> I am so glad to have walked into the School of Business library and said, okay, I think I'll do this uh, because it has stayed with me and it has developed a whole bunch of new friends. You're up, huh, Vito. Oh man, wow. Thank you, uh, Brother Joe, that was... That was legit awesome. Uh, see, uh, I, I gotta admit, I took a picture when you said that was Claire Roberts because I gotta see her reaction to that later <laughs> on. Awesome. Uh, we did receive five questions, they're actually aimed at one of you and then for the entire group. So I'm gonna ask those, but first, uh, I just wanna see where everyone's at. So we're just gonna do a quick province roll call, real quick, with uh, the poll here. So because I know our panelists are all from the West, which was not intended whatsoever, but go ahead and vote and let me see where where, where everyone is tonight, because I'm not even sure all five provinces are represented tonight, which is fine. It's not a frack of it, so we're good. It'll be interesting to see if the West wins just because of the four panelists being there, so... Couple more seconds. And South Central. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. Of course South Central's the most here. Well, that's awesome, that, that's really great. Love, love all the brothers. Um, so I'll just go, I'll go with each individual question and then I'll get to the question that's kind of just for the in general panel. And I'll go back to you, Lori. Uh, Lori, can you speak on some of your experiences that may have not been the most 
brotherly and how you overcame them when you were dealing with brothers outside your chapter. Um, probably because you said the brothers at your chapter were pretty open about the whole female brother thing. Well, I, I don't really remember meeting anyone who was, there was no one that was blatantly rude. Uh, I met a few brothers at regionals that came from chapters. I remember the chapter in Portales and I remember uh, one of the uh, alumni chapters back East that they didn't admit women and they didn't want to have women. And actually the Portales chapter ended up being, uh, they lost their charter. And that was just one of the reasons why they had a house they were very social and they didn't ever let, admit women. But when I met the gentleman from that chapter at regionals, we had some conversations and I asked, why don't you wanna have women? And we talked about it. He was always very kind to me. Nobody, uh, God, who could be rude to me? No, <laughs> I, I respond as kindly as I can, but I don't remember anybody ever being rude to me. Even the alumni chapter on the East Coast that I could tell their wives did not appreciate having women around. And um, I just killed them with kindness and would be as kind as I could be and tried to express interest in them and what they were doing. And I kind of felt like people just wouldn't have the nerve to be rude. So I'm fortunate I didn't have any blatant negativity directed at me. They may have said, we don't wanna have any women, it's not gonna work for our chapter. And I just tried to explain to them why I felt it would be good. Sounds like you really, uh, felt like you really handled that uh, well, Lori, but I'm glad uh, that it was blatantly rude. I tried, you. yeah. That's, that's not nice, that's not very brotherly at all. <laughs> Brother Mike Malady, uh, you mentioned that you were the first you mentioned you were the first uh, grand president that is LGBT. Uh, can you tell us a little bit of your experience as that, especially in the climate you were being LGBT? We know that being LGBT is even the fraternity now may be a little bit shell-shocked, but where you were doing it, it had to be a whole nother ball game. Sure. Um... I, I've really uh, never spoken about this publicly, but I guess there's always a first. So um, when I got to the convention, I would say I was probably the odds on choice to become uh, grand president because to be elected grand president, there were two other people running against me because I'd been uh, the only nationally elected officer for the previous four years. So I got to the convention and back then the grand chapter Congress started on Sundays. <clears throat> By Sunday evening, uh, about five or six of the past grand presidents had gotten together and they sent by way of a messenger, a message to me that if I didn't drop out of the race, they were going to out me and run it. Uh, excuse me, kind of emotional. Uh, they were going to out me in front of the whole Congress. And uh, this was 1979 and nobody with a brain was uh, publicly um uh, gay. I mean, nobody, you know, people were not out at that time. There's a lot of hostility, a lot of fear. 
And so uh, the very next day at the opening business session, I withdrew my name from, um, um, from uh, contention for grand president. I dropped out of the race. So that night I was partying very heavily and a group of a bunch of uh, about a dozen or 15 people came up to me, mostly undergrads, and they said, we want you back in the race. And I said, no, I'm not gonna do it. I'm not gonna put myself through that. And uh, they kept at it. And uh, I said, well, if you come back in, in within 24 hours with a petition signed by over 50% of the delegates saying they want me back in the race, I'll consider. So in less than 24 hours, they came back and they had more than 50% of the delegates who signed the petition. Uh, so the very next morning, uh, I was renominated. And uh, then the day after that, Thursday, the final day, that was back when we had elections, the final morning of the uh, convention of the Congress, and, uh, and then luncheon following. We don't do that anymore. So on Thursday morning, the final morning of the convention, we had the election, and I beat the other two candidates without a runoff. So uh, that was um, uh, a very, as you can tell, a very emotional event for me. Um, and for the next four years, I had zero problems. Uh, I, I was concerned that maybe I would have some problems. I had no problems at all. So, um, and, and, and never have. Um, everybody, you, you mentioned Skip Loomis a while ago, uh, Joe Goldblatt. For those of you who don't know, Skip Loomis was a longtime uh, alumni. Uh, he was RVP, what's now RVP, regional director in California, and I think was provincial vice president for a while, also director of alumni activities. And he came up to me one time and he, he right after the election, he came up to me and he says, my only concern is uh, I'm, I'm going to be afraid to give you a hug in public, you know. And the next time I saw him, he got, comes up and gives me a big fat hug when I was visiting California on one of my first trips as grand president. So uh, it was a, a very emotional experience for me and it turned out to be a very good experience. So I hope that helps to answer your question. Um, I'm not sure if the person who asked that got their question answered, but I'm, uh, now much, all I can say is much respect to you and I'm glad that you put your name back in there. I'll say that much. Um, Lynette, for you, uh, you've mentioned going dark for a while there. So I guess some time of fraternal inactivity, what made you or what makes you stay active or connected to the fraternity all these years later? Even though I was dark, as in I wasn't active, a lot of people weren't seeing me, I wasn't able to go to Congress and stuff um, due to personal and uh, work-related um, issues, I still kept in touch with people. I read the Delta SIG, then the internet came into existence, kept up with that, met with brothers here and there. Um, and then when I moved, I actually thought about starting a chapter in the Central Valley at Bakersfield where I was, did a lot of homework there, but found out the school wasn't, had too much turnover, so I couldn't do anything there for it. And then when I moved back to, down here to Southern California, um, a brother asked, said, hey, we have a chapter, it needs a district director, you're really close to it, would you think about it? Um, I said, I'd think about it, two days later, I'm a district director. and then it's like, hey, the Valley still doesn't have any um, alumni chapter here. We predominantly only had the um, LL, the LAAC, which is the Los Angeles one. 
anybody who has been in Southern California right at 5, five o'clock, there's no way you can get over the, the Sepulveda Pass to go to any event. And I did a research and we had over 3,000 brothers in the um, San Fernando Valley area. So I reached out to Jamie Ball and said, we talked about this 20 years ago. I want to do it now. She agreed. And so we started another alumni chapter. And uh, that's, that's kind of been it. Um, every time I go out to do something, I think, okay, this is it. You know, someone asked me to bring me back. I do something and I get 10 times more about it. Um, this semester, my last semester as a DD, when I had those senior graduating seniors reach out to me, asking me for letters, asking me for advice, asking me to be a mentor for them, asking me to help them with other connections and start sharing their story. Um, that just blew my mind. I'm like, you know, I don't, I know my faults. Um, when Frack reached out to me and like even to be here again today, I just, this, this is the stuff that energizes me to keep doing more because I get blown away of what people see in me that I can give to them because I know my faults and my weaknesses and I just, you know, I'm filled and fueled by my interactions of helping other brothers. So hope that answers it. I think, I think it probably does. And the question for you, Joe, is I think it's basically the same thing as Lynette, uh, mainly because you were in the military, you moved around a lot. And now that you retired, you don't live very close to an alumni chapter. What's made you stay active throughout your time in the fraternity? And now when it seems like it would be easiest to walk away, at least from a geographical standpoint, when someone's keeps on moving and doing in different locations where they may not necessarily know people. What made you, what keeps you going? Vito, I'm sorry. I had to walk away for an instant. Uh, no problem. Uh, uh, the question is with you being in the military and moving around, so much and now not living the closest to an alumni chapter after almost 50 years what keeps you active and around dsp even if you're not in leadership or when you were in leadership back in those days moving around what what kept you going to stay close to the brotherhood wow that's a good question um it is brotherhood it's just you know you're there, you're involved. Uh, the friendships are there. The camaraderie is there. Laurie had a, 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 a gathering a, a year or two ago. She invited a few of us and we showed up. Um, it's just what you do. And I'll go back to it. Brotherhood, Delta Sigma Pi is for life. You just are there. It's in you. It, and for me, I since I was uh, um, pretty much stationed only uh, stateside, uh, it was extremely easy for me because of the bases uh, to get involved, find an alumni chapter, 
I'm sorry that one of them was uh, Sacramento, but. Tucson and Phoenix were good chapters. What can I say? Yeah, I mean, you're staying active now, even though you're not the closest to the alumni chapter. I mean, how, uh... okay, this one might be a yes. little bit ages yes. a bit. Yes. All right, I'm gonna yes. say it. This question's a bit ages, but I see where they're going with this. In the time of the pandemic, how have you found a way to come back and or be around the fraternity, even though it's more technically advanced? I think uh, I think yeah. this person's kind of trying to say, since you're an older person, how do you stay? What made you want to stay connected in a digital age? That's just me, though. I think. Uh, well, for that's a good question. That I like uh, I like uh, technology, so it's easy. And thank you, Vito and all of the others that formed uh, FRAC. And uh, uh, once again, it was Bill Stabilsky who said, hey, Joe, I'm inviting you, why don't you show up? And when a brother invites me, I show up. Well, that's it right there. That's, yeah, that's that last sentence right there. If a brother invites you, show up. And this is for all four of you. Uh, let me try to get everybody spotlighted again. Uh, well, I'll, while I'm spotlighting you guys, the question is for the, again, this is a good word because it in indicates age, but uh, for the younger brothers and newer brothers that are now in coming into fraternity leadership or just those that are gonna be active and become those GCC crowds and things of that nature, what advice or, you know, pep talk quick that you can give them to stay active in the fraternity, stay around their brothers and just, what do you have to say to the next generation of Delta Sigs that's gonna hopefully keep the torch going after you guys go on and retire from DSP or whatever? Besides, don't burn the place down. Obviously, we're, we don't do our best not to do so. I mean, I'm not going to do it, but whoever wants to go first. Let, let, me, let me just say something real quick here, Vito. Um, somebody was telling a story. It may have been, uh, I can't remember who it was, about Portales. Was that you, Laurie? So I have a story about our chapter in Portales, New Mexico, because I was uh, on the board of directors. Um, when they did get into trouble, speaking of burning things down, uh, you know, so, so the chapter, we, we put them on probation for hazing. Uh, what they did was they tied one of their female members to a trash can and had her simulating having sex with a trash can. So we thought that was a good reason to put them on probation. So six months later, they did everything we asked and we took them off probation and they celebrated coming off probation by having a cookout at their faculty advisor's house accidentally setting it on fire and burning the house to the ground. So um, I just had to throw that in <laughs> to lighten the moment if nothing else. Um, and uh, as far as um, passing the torch and trying to keep kids active, younger people active, you know, I'm just turned 76 years old. I'm still DD for Gamma Psi here at the University of Arizona. Somehow I found a way to interact with them. Um, I, they help keep me young. 
Um, and the thing that I keep telling them over and over and over, other than to try and get them out in large numbers to uh, leads and grand chapter Congress, and they have set records. They had, uh, in 2015, they had 53 people at grand chapter Congress. They raised money for two years to go to all these things. But the, the thing that I keep preaching over and over to, to them is the, <clears throat> the best thing to stay involved in the fraternity uh, in college and post-college is the people that you meet, your friends, uh, your pledge brothers, your, your active members, the alumni you associate with, the people that you meet at regional conferences, what we used to call regional conferences, leads now, and Grand Chapter Congress, these are going to be the best friends that you'll have the rest of your life. The people that I have met in the fraternity over the years uh, have become my best friends. Uh, I, like I say, I've known Lori for, oh my God, Lori, I don't know how you are, how old you are, but I've known you for 40, what, 45, 46 years and seen you at many, many Grand Chapter Conferences. Joe, the same thing for you. Uh, Lynette reminded me a while ago when I did the history shows at the Grand Chapter Congress that she was on my panel, what, 30 years ago. So uh, these are the people that you're gonna meet and, and learn to love, learn to love, <laughs> do love <laughs> for the rest of your life. And so this is what I, I tell the kids is these people that you meet right now, whether they're your local chapter or a lead or the Grand Chapter Congress, you don't know now, but they may end up being the best people, the best friends, uh, that you ever have in your life. So that's what I tell them. Without a doubt, it's, you know, just uh, showing up, being seen, uh, developing that friendship that, like you said, Mike, you don't even know is going to exist. It lasts for a, for a long, long time. Long time. And oh, by the way, I even got a brother down there at Gamma Psi. She's my daughter. Now? Not now. No. Oh, I was going to say. <laughs> no. Okay. I have to agree with them. Um, I think the beauty of Delta Sigma Pi is we're a brotherhood, which means we're a family. So you can join any kind of club. You go to work, you have your, your biological family, but this is the family that you choose that just keeps growing and just keeps giving as long as you keep showing up. Okay, now that we're sharing secrets and <laughs> going off the record here a little bit, or maybe off the record. You wanna, you wanna hold on till I stop recording and do that one, Mike? Cause I can, I can hit that unrecord button real quick. I don't know that we need to do that. Um, but Joe, you were talking about the 1983 Grand Chapter Congress at the Denver Marriott. So that was my, uh, my second Grand Chapter Congress that I presided over as Grand President. And uh, um, it was a Sheridan. Sheridan, uh, okay, whatever. Sheridan? I thought anyway, it was a Marriott. We knew what the name of it was back then. We didn't care what the name Denver of it was. Marriott. Bingo, that's it, that's right. And this was before risk management and actually it may have been the cause of risk management. But that parking lot where somebody showed up with a band one night was actually swaying. They had to demolish that parking lot. The partying was so heavy in the hotel. The PGA was having a tournament and they, they were headquartered at the hotel. I was in front of the checkout desk when Arnold Palmer checked out of the hotel complaining about all the noise. So there was, and, and we were still having margarita parties. The, the Arizona chapters were still having margarita parties. And by the way, 
they brought in like 20 blenders and all the mixes and they brought up the tequila from Arizona and anybody that walked into the room in the suite got to uh, enjoy the margarita parties. And, you know, um, there was a time and a place for stuff like that. And that was certainly the, the time and the place. And uh, it, it fell under the, uh, under the rules of risk management. So that those had to be done away with. All right, Lori, do you want to say anything before we, uh, to that question before we sign out? No, I couldn't add any more to what they've already said. They all did a great job. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, guys, thanks for, I really appreciate everyone coming out. I appreciate the four panelists for signing on to be part of this event, especially with me doing it on my own. Uh, greatly appreciate it. And I'll see you guys all around. Remember GCC, first virtual GCC is next month. So hopefully everybody makes it out. And I'm going to stop this recording live so we can have the real conversations we want to have. So just hold it for like five seconds. Well, thank you so much, Vito, for 